new to the Highlands, uh, you are a part of a network of churches, which is kind of a cool thing. There's uh, Mercy Hill in Minnetonka, Woodridge in Medina, and then the Highlands here in Delano. Uh, and we call ourselves the Aspen Grove Church Network. And the reason that we describe ourselves that way is that um, Aspen Groves are individual trees with interconnected root systems. And so if you kind of imagine that, um, that's how we represent ourselves, right? Each individual location has a unique name, uh, a unique identity, um, uh, and then underneath the surface, we share a lot of resources. Um, and, uh, and then one of the things that's been really cool about that, that kind of pattern of living is it invites the opportunity for more collaboration. And our high school team and our middle school team are really the leaders in um, the very best of our collaboration. Uh, so this retreat is just a really cool testament um, to what it, what it really means um, to, to get to be a part of the Aspen Grove Network. Um, you know, the, the Mercy Hill High School community is, is smaller, like less than 20 kids on a, on a regular um, Sunday. So for them to get to come in and be a part of something so much bigger than that um, is a really, really cool um, opportunity. Um, Oh, um, sorry. Uh, so, um, let's see, I lost my train of thought. Uh, I was talking to my daughter uh, yesterday night about coming to church here. The kids are here. Eli is with us in the auditorium today, and um, I coaxed my daughter into participating with the, the fourth and fifth grade girls in the elementary programming, which I was really, really proud of. I don't know if you, you know, when you make your kid, you trick your kids into doing something that they didn't really want to do. <laughs> Feels pretty cool. She's like, why are we going to that church? We don't know anyone. And I said, I said, well, it's my job. So that's why I'm going. Um, but I said, I, said, I, I, I said, one of the things I love about church is that when you go to a church, wherever you go to a church, you get to be around other people who you don't know, but because of Jesus, your family. And I feel that way all the time. I especially feel that way here. I especially feel that way at Woodridge. But I'm a big go-to-church-on-vacation kind of person. I don't know what you guys do on vacation. But if you have never gone to church on a, on a work trip or on a vacation or something like that, um, it's, a, it's like kind of a nerdy Christian sort of thing to do, right? Um, but it, I, will, I, would, I would venture to say that it will be a highlight of your vacation experience to pick a church and to go to church there and to show up there and to just be a participant in the bigger story that God is telling beyond just what's happening in our little corner of the world. My family went to a church on vacation once and because um, all of them are weird, right? Like we can admit that the Highlands is weird, right? Mercy Hill is weird. Every church has its own quirks and subculture, which is really cool. Um, this church's subculture was especially weird. They played the Backstreet Boys. I was in middle school. They played a Backstreet Boys song and then they didn't ask visitors if they wanted to stand up. They made them stand up. Um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't be saying this here because I'm giving Brian ideas, but um, so it was, it was super uncomfortable. Um, but at the same time, I got to be around other people who were following Jesus in a totally different part of the world. Um, and so I just, I love that. And I love that about coming here. I love that about bringing my family here with me um, today because they didn't have volunteer responsibilities at Mercy Hill this Sunday, which was really, really neat. 
Uh, and I would, ju- I would just throw that out there to you. Um, probably something that other people aren't, aren't hitting you with as ideas all the time. But go to church on vacation. Just try it once. If you don't like it, whatever. But I, I actually think it'll be something that you go, you know what? This is a pattern of behavior um, that, that I really enjoy. Because I really enjoy being around the bigger story that God is telling. Even if it's a bigger story that I don't always, that doesn't always make sense to me. doesn't always make me feel comfortable um, or whatever. And then the last thing that I want to say, I, was, I always try to think about what could I say to you um, that, that, that maybe the staff wouldn't say um, because they want you to come back next week. And I want you to come back too. Um, but we at Mercy Hill moved into a, a converted warehouse space three or four years ago, uh, moving out of a high school, and it was a really cool experience. Uh, and if I had to think, what would I want? What would I want for for you for our community for you guys as you move into your new space? I want you to sit one row closer than you're planning on sitting. Okay, <laughs> I'm not asking you like nobody. You know, very few people in the middle second row. Okay, so some space here. But I want, the reason for that is you're going to have people visiting and you're going to have people who are showing up for the first time and you're going to have people that are just going, maybe this physical space is a sign from God that God is actually showing up in my neighborhood, showing up in my community in a new way. And you might be thinking, well, we've been here a long time and I agree with you. We've been here a long time, right? But they're going to look at that and they're going to go, maybe God is showing up in my life and I should walk through those doors. And when they walk through those doors, they're going to want to slink in the back. Okay? And so you need, to make op- you need to make space for them. You know, you just, you have to make space for them to be able to do that. So my challenge to you is to sit one row closer and then just as a bonus challenge, try out each seating section before you settle into your spot. Okay? <laughs> just for fun. Okay? I like to move around where I sit at Mercy Hill. My wife doesn't. We always sit like right there. And then one time I was sitting over there and she couldn't find me. That's kind of fun too. A little hide and seek with your family. So these are things like you're thinking, oh, it's going to be great. I heard there's a lot of glass and the, uh, the lobby is really bright and the, all the music is going to sound really cool in the new auditorium. But you can play hide and seek with your family just to kind of get the ball rolling at church, which is so fun. Um. Anyway, I'm, I'm done with my, my weird tips for you. Okay, that's the end of the weird tips. I'm so excited to be here. I love coming to the Highlands. Um, I'm just, I'm so thrilled um, to get to be loosely connected with this community of people. Um, God has continued to be faithful to us here. God has continued to be at work in our midst. Um, we get to celebrate a really physical, tangible example of that but we also get to say goodbye next week and, and this week with the kids programming to how God has utilized all of you um, to extend his love to, um, to young kids um, through these spaces that you faithfully set up every week. And I just, you know, as we celebrate the end of the time at the high school next week, we're really celebrating the end of the impact of the early childhood and elementary programming. And um, it's, it's, been, it's been deep and it's been wide um, and we're excited to see it continue to flourish in the new space. Uh, I'm, I'm here to bring you um, the first week of a teaching series that we created called Explore the Iceberg. Um, this idea comes from an author and a pastor named Pete Scazzaro who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and then a follow-up called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. 
Um, WebMD says that emotional health is one aspect of mental health. It is your ability to cope with both positive and negative emotions, which includes your awareness of them. So emotional health is your ability to cope both positively and negatively with your emotions, or excuse me, with both positive and negative emotions, and to be aware of them. And if the last two years have taught us anything, it's that wherever we thought we were in terms of our emotional health, we were a little bit lower. And we just, we, we need to spend some time on the ability and the tools so that we're able to cope well with the, the positive and the negative emotions that come our way. And I would say, from the conversations that I've had with people and the things that I've looked at and just sort of my anecdotal opinion, I think the reason that we don't do well with emotional health is because we don't do well with awareness, which is why I love this picture of the iceberg, right? 10% of the iceberg is above the surface. 90% of the iceberg is below the surface. You gotta go home and watch Titanic tonight, right? Make space for it this weekend. Um, but but it's, it's a really powerful picture that God is gonna put into your brain and remind you, like, you know what? There's a lot more to me underneath the surface. And my question to you is, are you aware of what's underneath the surface in the good moments and in the hard moments of your life? Are you aware of them? I think one of the reasons that uh, Pete Scazzaro says most people shipwreck or live inconsistent lives because of forces and motivations beneath the surface of their lives that they have never considered. And so what we want to do is we want to just provoke the consideration, right? I want to draw your attention. I'm going to talk about sadness today. It's really fun. Um, But if you're sad right now, I think that God is going to use this as a tool to minister to your life. But if you're not sad, this is a great time um, to interact with this content because it's an opportunity for you to consider, right? To look underneath the surface and go, when I'm sad, what do I do with that? When I'm sad, how do, I, how do I express that to other people? How do I express that um, to myself? How do I express that to God? Am I pulling up all of the different dimensions and components of my sadness so that I'm aware of them? Or do I allow most of it to just live underneath the surface of my life and be, quite frankly, a danger to, to my present, to my relationships, and to my future? One thing I think that works against our understanding of our feelings and our own emotional health is that too often we put I think or, um, or an opinion about uh, instead of an uh, I feel statement. So this is what Pete Scazzaro says. He says, too often we put a thought or an opinion after an I feel statement. And that's one great example of how we push our actual feelings dangerously below the surface. So he says, I feel that this supermarket's prices are too high. But that's not really actually a feeling statement. What you're saying is, I think or I believe that the supermarket's prices are too high. And if you were actually going to put a feeling behind it, it might sound more like this. I really like this supermarket, but I feel sad because I can't afford to shop there. Now that I feel statement, the real one there, is a lot richer, a lot more layered, a lot deeper, a lot more going on there in that sentence, right? 
And the truth is when we really use I feel statements and we don't just hide behind I think statements or opinion statements, that's the, that's the process of getting underneath the surface and exploring the iceberg of our feelings. So the group, this group of teachings, the goal of it is that we could begin to emerge out of a paradigm where we're tempted to shine it on or to fake it when it comes to how we feel and how we show up in the world. And instead express healthy disappointment and also healthy gladness. So that we might say, I wish this didn't happen. Or I'm glad and I am joyful. And enjoy it and be thankful for it. One way that this will happen for us is simply by bringing up our feelings. Asking questions like in the book, what are you angry about? What are you sad about? What are you anxious about? What are you glad about? When's the last time that you just, you thought in your mind or you wrote down on a piece of paper, you said, I am sad about, and you allowed your mind or you allowed your pen to just wander your heart and your imagination, what has happened to you, what is happening to you, what's going to happen to you, and actually teased out like, you know, I am sad about this. I'm married to a woman who has like deep feelings, okay? She feels a lot of feelings. She feels more complex feelings than I do, which was really hard when we started dating, um, and I was an emotionally unintelligent person, right? My emotional discipleship level was super low. Hers was higher, um, and that created friction in our relationship. Um, and I, as I've grown emotionally, I think that that's really helped us. But she's the kind of person who explores how she feels about things. And I'm the kind of person who pretends that I don't have feelings, right? I'm pretty sure on multiple occasions, I told people in my 20s that I didn't have feelings. If you, if you think that, that's not true. Everyone has feelings. Um, and, and, to, and to not understand how you're feeling is to basically be preparing to run a marathon with a limp. You're, you're, you're just, you're in, in significant ways, you're handicapping yourself from being the person that God has created you to be if you are not aware of how you are feeling. Or if you're not aware of the degree to which you are feeling something. So that's what we want to do. We want to explore the iceberg. We want to we look at um, what it looks like, as Pete Scazzaro says, to allow the gospel to transform us both above the surface and below the surface. And we believe that the end result is going to be that we are people who are better at being loved by God, better at, better at loving God, and better at, at showing up in the world and loving in the way that God has created us to love. So what I want to say about sadness, first of all, is that it's, it's okay to be sad. I, want, I, hope that, I hope that deep into your heart and long into your future, you leave here today and just say, I believe that in and through Jesus Christ, because of the power of the cross and the empty tomb and, and Jesus' power over death, itself and sin and separation from God because of the power of God that it's okay to be sad. When you look at the story of God in the Bible, you see that God himself isn't afraid to be sad. When you look at the relationships that people who we would go, you know what, this person has a, a real and vibrant and robust relationship with God, they're not afraid to be sad. 
uh, the, the middle of the Bible, if you took one of those study Bibles, um, and you can do this experiment if you're willing to, to cough up the $35 after you do it. You grab one of those study Bibles, you flip it open in the middle, you're probably going to flip open to Psalms because it's the, the biggest book and it takes up a lot of the middle of the Bible. So um, these, are, these are poems and these are songs um, that were written, a large chunk of them, by, by King David, uh, who's an important person in the history of the nation of Israel. Um, you might know him from such things as David and Goliath and killing Goliath with the stone, even if you're not a regular church participant. You may have heard that story. But David is a person who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And what we find in the Psalms is that David isn't afraid of his feelings. And he's especially not afraid to express the fact that he feels sad. Circumstances can cause you sadness. Your own choices can cause you sadness. The choices of others can cause you sadness. It's okay to be sad. It's good to be sad. When you're sad, be sad, right? The, the worst thing that you could do when you're sad is to pretend that you're not. Now, there is definitely a way in which, you know, and I don't want to pick on my daughter too much because she's a, like a delight to me, but she's also not here. Um, and that leaves open an opportunity that my son being here doesn't present to me. So given those choices and, you know, wanting to maintain a healthy relationship with my wife, my daughter sometimes feels sad in a way that I believe is disproportionate to the circumstances that have happened to her. Okay? This could be true of me too, but it never feels that way to me inside my body, okay? I'm good at diagnosing this for other people. If you want me to come over to your house later this week and just kind of referee a, a, a conversation in your marriage, I would love to diagnose how both of you are overreacting. Um, but this is true, right? And this is a problem, okay? This is a problem of sadness, but it's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is not feeling sadness at all. It would be better for all of us to leave this room and just, you know, like get a hangnail and sob for, a, for an hour and a half and actually feel feelings than it would be for us to say, you know what, I really got to rein it in. I really got to tighten it up. Eventually, that may be the case. And there definitely is the case that we can, it is not emotionally healthy to react toward um, you know, the, your team losing a game as though someone that you care about has lost their life. I mean, those make for great videos after the Super Bowl, right? Like the guy who buys the TV, plans on returning it, watches his team lose, you know, on a controversial third and seven call on the fourth down in the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm friends with a Bengals fan. Um, he didn't do this. But then, you know, like people like break those TVs, Right? And what that, that is somebody who is sad, expressing that in a way that is inappropriate, right? And, th and that's, definitely, that's definitely true. But what I think that we need to pay more attention to is what does it look like for us to actually express our sadness and to go there? Um, so th there's a way in which we can give ourselves over to unhealthy sadness, there's a way in which we can, we can kind of wallow in sadness longer than is um, appropriate, right? I, I'll, I'll just be totally honest with you because I think we're friends even though we're not. 
Um, or even if you don't think we are. You might, if you think we're friends, we're friends. And if you don't think we're friends, I still think we are. Um, but in my life, I've, I've, I, I have experienced um, several different um, um, kind of medium depressive episodes. Uh, medium to severe, depending on um, who I talk to and how they di- diagnose it. Um, but in, in, a, in a way, too, there's a huge amount of sadness that goes with this. And it's a sadness that, quite frankly, I don't understand. You know, like for me, what's, what is the difference between depression and sadness and my own life and what I've read about in preparation for the sermon today? It's a sadness that's difficult to describe and difficult to understand and that doesn't seem to be linked to circumstance, okay? And, and that can happen. And it's important to be honest about how you're feeling when you're feeling that way. Like you could just, like I would just go, you know, like this happened for me about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, and it just kind of came on me and I could feel it sort of coming over me. Like you could see clouds coming over and then you, you know, it's like, okay, so the storm is coming and then the, the, just to what degree is it going to rain um, is, is kind of the question with some of the times when I experienced depression. Um, and, and in those moments, uh, it, it's just, it's important for me to be honest about how I'm feeling. It's important for me to say, you know, like, hey, things are going great with my family. Um, things are going great in my professional life. Things are, are great with my friends. But I just feel this, like, um, this cloud of sadness beginning to drift over me. And I can't explain why that's the case. Uh, for me, I need to rely on professional conversation partners to help me with that. Sometimes I've needed to rely on medication. And I think all of those things are tools that God has given us to help us when there's this disconnect between how we're feeling and how we feel the need to express it. And so if that's a spot that you're in, I just, I want to say, feel your feelings, but I also want to say that it's important to have conversations with people uh, and, and to reach out and, and to get help because it's, it's a really big and really significant thing. I took great comfort in my research. Um, there's, there are a lot of um, people in Christian history that have struggled with depression um, so I don't know if you've ever had like the same bad experience happen. You go, yeah, we're in the same club. That's great. So I feel that way. Like Charles Spurgeon, depressed a lot. So I was like, that's neat, my guy. Like we're on the same team. Thank you. That feels good. Um, so if you're like me, then we have that in common as well. Um, but I think it's important to not give ourselves over it to sadness in an unhealthy way. And I also think it's important for us to um, not give ourselves over to sadness in a dishonest way. Um, one of the things that the Bible pushes us to do is to consider who we are in Christ as we live our lives here on earth. First uh, Thessalonians 4 says this in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, like, you need to have a different vision of death because of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say you need to have a different vision of anxiety and sadness and anger and joy because of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. What I want to do um, in the time that we have remaining is go through um, four different kind of chunks of lists that I created, uh, just, just kind of things that I've been thinking about as I've been processing. What does it mean to experience sadness and grow in emotional health as a follower of Jesus? If you're not following Jesus right now, this is going to feel a little bit like 
inside, like in the locker room kind of team conversation. That's what a lot of my sermons um, tend to feel like. Uh, and and w- if, if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, I hope you feel it from a perspective of like, I'm on the outside looking in, but maybe I want to be in. Okay? I, I think that one of the best testimonies is Christians living their lives individually and together, um, seeking after and following after Jesus. I think that if we do that well, then you're going to want to join the team. Um, and, and if you want to join the team, it's an opportunity basically to allow Jesus to shape your vision for who you are, your sense of who you are and what it means to live in the world. So the first group of three is when you're sad, cry, feel your feelings. Number two, feel your feelings with others, maybe professional others. And number three is feel your feelings in God's creation. If you want to, you can take out your phone and like take a picture of this. If you want to, you can email me um, and I'd be happy to send you my notes. Um, I'm going to read some scripture as we go. It's probably, for the most part, not going to appear on the screen. Um, and depending on how I'm feeling about one of the groups, I'm going to go really fast or I'll slow down a little bit. So Um, I love this last one, feel your feelings in God's creation, especially if you're feeling sad. If you want to do sadness in the way of Jesus, in the rhythm of God's grace, it's really helpful to get out there, go snowshoeing, ice skate on a frozen lake. One day the snow will clear and we can actually just walk and swim and do do those other sorts of things. But it's an amazing opportunity for you to look up at the sky for you to look down at everything that God has created and to locate yourself in that and to locate your joy in the midst of that, to locate your pain in the midst of that, to locate your anxiety in the midst of that. Sometimes just being in God's world enables God to connect with you more in a way than than when you kind of box yourself in. Because one of the things we do with mo- emotions, especially negative emotions, is we use them to kind of box ourselves in and, 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 and put ourselves somewhere. And we think we're protecting ourselves, but the reality is we're keeping ourselves from who God has created us to be. I, and like I said, I'm a big believer in, um, in professional help, whether it's therapy or spiritual director. I have both. It's not a contest. Um, but <laughs> it can be good to have professional talking partners. Um, the next group of three is this. When you're sad, keep moving. Second Corinthians 4 says, We're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. When you're sad, keep moving. When you're sad, guard your thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we need to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. God invites you to be sad. But I would encourage you to bring that in and to filter that through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So when you're sad, keep moving. When you're sad, guard your thoughts. When you're sad, talk to yourself. Don't just listen to yourself. I love this one. I stole this one from the internet. When you're sad, talk to yourself. Don't just listen to yourself. What I mean by that is what, um, what, what David, King David, the psalmist does. He says in, verse, in Psalm 42, verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. 
There's a way in which we can just get stuck into listening to ourselves over and over and over and then spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. And God is like, I've been shooting truth at you over and over and over again. And when are you going to allow that to talk back to you? When are you going to allow the truth of who I've been in your past to speak into your present? And again, this isn't to solve sadness. The, the point of this teaching is not to solve something. The point of this teaching is to honor the reality of sadness as emotion, to explore the, the totality of it, but to do it in a Christian way, to do it in a way that Jesus would do it, to do it in a way that Paul pushes people to do it in the New Testament, to do it in a way that King David shows us in the Psalms. And one of the things that David does when he's at his lowest is he talks to himself. He doesn't just listen to, to himself. So when you're sad, talk to yourself. The next group of three is when you're sad, remember God loves you. Remember that God loves you. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When we're sad, we can start to believe that everyone's out to get us. We can start to believe that every circumstance is going to end poorly. Our optimism quickly becomes pessimism. Our world goes from big and expansive to small and cramped. And one of the things that you can do to, to, to just absolutely explode those lies is to remember the basics of God's great love for you. John 3, 16 and 17 is the basics. God is not against you. God is not coming into the world for your condemnation. God isn't interested in telling you that you should get what you deserve. He's interested in giving you exactly the opposite of that because he loves you. And when we feel big feelings that aren't gladness, a lot of times we forget that. When you're sad, look up. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then also when you're sad, pray. Psalm 145, 19. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries and saves them. I went out of my way to make prayer number nine on the list. Because I think a lot of times, you know, it doesn't feel good when you're feeling a negative emotion to have somebody just say, well, just pray about it. You know? No, no offense to the prayer team, right? At all. And absolutely you should pray about it. But, but what, I don't, what I don't want it to sound like is a simple solution to a simple problem. I don't think your sadness is simple. I don't even necessarily think that it's a problem. I believe that God cares about you. I believe that God loves you. I believe that when you cry out to God, God listens to you. I believe that a lot of the items, number one through eight, are a form of prayer, so I kind of tricked you. Um, but I do believe, to the core of who I am, the truth of Psalm 145, that God hears those who cry out to him, that God cares about you, and that you matter to God. So I, so I would invite that to you. Um, and then the, the final three on my list here. Some of you didn't think that this would go as fast as it's going. I'm just saying. <laughs> I was one of those people. Um, 
Number 10 is when you're sad, have faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. We start to lie to ourselves, and one of the lies we tell ourselves is that God isn't real. And once we've decided that God isn't real, then there's nothing to have faith in. And then our sadness can quickly become despair, and despair in such a way that absolutely sinks us, and we feel like we're um, hundreds of feet under crushing ocean waves. But that's not true. That's not true. And in the midst of our sadness, no matter how great the sadness and some sadness is, is pain that you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life, right? I mean, it just is. There's a lot of sadness that isn't small. There's a lot of sadness that's like you just, you, you carry with you. That certain days of the year are going to bring it up for you. And you're feeling a, a real justifiable sadness that sinks you to the core of who you are. And, and you feel like the whole world has gone on living. You feel like nobody else is noticing it. Uh, our, our staff team was in Orlando um, for uh, a conference. We brought everybody from all three sites, or almost everybody from all three sites. Um, it, was a, it was a fun experience. We had a, an extra day, um, and I was in charge of the itinerary, and I'm a little bit too excited about NASA. Um, and so we went, um, we went to the Kennedy Space Center, and we actually went on the day, the anniversary of the Challenger explosion. Um, and and it, was, it was a weird feeling, because we were, we were walking around, um, and most people didn't know it was the anniversary of that date. And even though a lot of us did know it was the anniversary of the date, that's not why, that's not why we went there, right? But then there were other people around the world for whom that is a daily reminder of one of the crushing blows that their life is ever going to experience. And every time that that anniversary comes along, it absolutely sinks them in a way that's completely justified. And, and, that's, and that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to coax out a lot of different ideas from this list. It's because we need tools to be the people that God has created us to be because there's so many external forces fighting away from us being the people that God wants us to be. There's so many different stories that the world is telling us about who we are and what really matters and how we should view the world and how we should live into it. So when you're sad, have faith. And when you're sad, use that faith. Be confident. Hebrews 10, 35 through 36 says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. I don't know if you've ever met a follower of Jesus who's carrying a hurt that they're going to carry with them till the day they die. But the joy mixed with sadness that followers of Jesus embody is this deeply human, inspiring perspective on the world that just makes sense of the pain in the world. I don't know if you've ever met anyone this way. Um, my cousin, who was older than me, um, died of a drug overdose when I was in my 20s, and he was in his late 20s. Um, and my aunt and my uncle, for me, are the people that I think about whenever I talk about this. They're the people that I think about whenever I think about dates and anniversaries, right? Like, I know the day that he died, I know the day that he was born, we reach out to them as a family to support them, but I know that the whole world isn't reaching out to them. And I know there are other dates and, and other thoughts and other memories that probably just flood their mind and their imagination that don't come to mind to me at all. 
but the way in which they are able to have faith and to use their faith with confidence so that their joy in the Lord and their sadness in their circumstance can co-mingle is just this amazing testament to me. So I would say to you, when you're sad, have faith. And I would say to you, when you're sad, use your faith. And then finally, I would say, when you're sad, remember that it's temporary. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. They have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As we look at the reality of exploring sadness and becoming emotionally healthy people, it would be irresponsible of, excuse me, irresponsible of us as followers of Jesus to not look at it from the vantage point of eternal life. To not look at it from the reality that for those of us that are following Jesus, our eternal life has already begun. And to enable that to reshape our sadness, not to do away with it, but just to feel it differently than other people who aren't finding themselves caught up in the life, death, and resurrection might experience sadness. To be emotionally healthy as a Christian is to explore the iceberg of your feelings and realize that at the very core of them is the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. I hope that this list can, can bring some comfort to you. I hope that it can bring some perspective to you. I, I always actually hope that it challenges you and convicts you um, the way that it has challenged me and convicted me. As I've thought about this, there's so many times when I've given myself over to being sad the way that everyone else is sad. And it's an amazing opportunity to be sad in the way of the resurrection. And it, like I said, if you're looking at this from the outside looking in, I'd hope, I hope that you feel that, that what we're finding in and through Jesus is so real and so meaningful and so significant in our lives. That it doesn't dissolve our sadness away. It doesn't make, um, it, doesn't make it disappear. But it reimagines it in the way that Jesus reimagines everything. I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite the band to come up and lead us in our, our closing time of worship. God, thank you for your great love for us, demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Really prove to us over and over and over again in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, in our sadness, we cling to you. We know that in that clinging and in that cleaving to you, it, it reimagines and reshapes everything for us. For those of us in this room who are um, rejoicing, God, and are just kind of innocent bystanders or observers to this concept of sadness right now, we rejoice with them. And for, for those of us in this room who are mourning, small sadness, giant sadness, who have a date in the calendar looming where they just know it's absolutely going to sink them. God, we mourn with them. 
we come alongside them in a way that only your spirit enables us to come alongside them. And we call out that that's not the way that it's supposed to be and that you died so that that's not the way that it will always be. But on this side of heaven, it is the way that it is now. And God, we ask that your, your spirit would give us a peace that surpasses understanding, that your presence would come alongside those of us who are really hurting right now and lay your arm around our shoulder and let us know that we are comforted by the God of all comfort. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.